from Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. Today on the show, we're continuing our special series, Institutional Shift. We're looking at the world's largest pools of capital, pension and sovereign wealth funds, endowments, and insurance companies. Our guide through this landscape is Dave Chen, CEO of Equilibrium Capital. Dave joins David Bank, Impact Alpha's editor and CEO, to follow the money as institutional investors tilt toward impact. Let's jump right into their conversation. Hi, Dave. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? This year uh, has already rocked to a great start. I've, uh, I've already been on two international trips, so it's, uh, it's going to be one hell of a year. Well, we're, we're looking ahead to 2020. It's still January by a, by a smidge. Uh, may not be when, this, when people listen to this, but um, we can get into what is still ahead this year. As you say, it's been action-packed already on all fronts. Um, but we did pretty good with our look ahead to 2019, don't you think? We certainly hit over 50%. And I'd say that, that if you look at it, I think we set the tone and, and I'll call it forecasted many of the trends to watch. I'd say we were probably closer to 75, 80% in terms of, of hitting things that, that happened that year. We can look now and try to see whether we're even ambitious enough. I think people are saying something has changed. Now, you never know whether you know, you're still you know, in the reality distortion field, as they say. But there's a feeling out in the people I've been talking to just in the last three months, say, end of last year through the beginning of this year, that something has tipped up in... Uh, amount of money flowing, amount of deals flowing, amount of calls coming in, amount of, of, of things happening. Is that your sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll pick on one small event. Uh, it was in Bloomberg and uh, just a, a week ago, and it was the, uh, the pension plan that's called Brunel in uh, the UK. And Brunel is one of the pensions that is a roll-up of a number of the public uh, pension, public employee pension plans uh, from across the UK. And, and it is not in London. It's in one of the other English cities. And they made a very, I'll call it forceful policy announcement that the issue of climate change and climate exposure, climate risk, uh, was now becoming a, a core uh, investment policy. And therefore, if the fund managers it was sort of a condition of working with them was that 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 they materially are engaged and ha- and are part of the solution towards that. So I, I think it's an indication of just how the dominoes are falling and the ripple effects that are starting to take place in the marketplace. We always are watching very closely this distinction of you know between the asset owners and their asset managers and the asset owners, as you say, the the pension funds themselves and and these and these other big institutional investors are starting to seem much more serious about, as you say, imposing these conditions on the on the asset managers and not taking what had been the kind of excuses about what they could or couldn't do, um, uh, you know, at face value, but pushing them much much harder. We we. We've watched, um, as, as you and I know, um, the government pension investment fund in Japan, and, and there's starting to be real kind of long-termism among these asset owners. Is, is that true? I, I think that, and it'll go to, to, I think, one of the major things to look out for in 2020. It's the recognition. I, I think that there has been a material difference and change in the asset owners, and, and it's not so much long-termism Exactly. In many cases, it's about the fact that many of the aspects that are uh, uh, involving climate change are long-term, 
infrastructure oriented things. And so if we dive right into it and, and look out into 2020, I think the very, very first you know, macro thing you're going to see in 2020 is an emphasis on scale and material uh, move the needle impact on, on the climate picture and on our greenhouse gases. And so the, the key words I think are going to be scaling and the key asset class or asset strategy you're going to see is uh, making that move through infrastructure, which in almost all cases, even if it's highly distributed infrastructure, connotes the word big. Right. So you're saying this is going to be where we see the real sort of scale up and mobilization that we've been kind of waiting for for, for, for years, frankly. But this is, you know, just solar panels and windmills and battery storage everywhere is that what, and and green everything i think you're going to see that uh, across multiple infrastructure oriented categories and that 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 goes everywhere from large scale networks of electric charging uh, all the way through to uh, large scale deployment of load balancing on the grid uh, to take advantage of patterns of renewable energy to storage all the way through to uh, water and, and, and other innovations that are going to take place. And then as far as you know, equilibrium is concerned, we're going to see the infrastructuring of the food and ag system. And, and so, but I think that the big takeaway, though, is that in 2020, uh, around this issue of climate, you're going to see the demand by the asset owners for big, blocky chunks of infrastructure that by definition are long-term uh, assets, long-term lived assets that now as a collective can move the needle and scale. And I think that's going to be the center, one of the big centers of conversation this year. Interesting. So just, just help us think through how this works in sort of portfolio allocations of a big institutional asset owner. Do they uh, just sub in climate positive infrastructure for something else or do they create new allocations for this infrastructure or is it you know where does this fit in their in their allocations and it, so it, therefore how much capital is available sure you know if you look in uh, uh, many of the institutional asset allocations uh, the real estate real assets uh, natural resources categories it's not unusual for them to be in excess of 15 percent of the overall portfolio uh, you know, real estate has historically been the largest chunk, but but natural resources has historically been oftentimes either the uh, forestry and ag or really the big one has been oil and gas. And what you're finding is that oil and gas, and this is a future conversation we can have in, in greater detail, but if you actually look at the valuation and the attractiveness of oil and gas, that's declining, but they still have this allocation for a big block in natural resources uh, and commodities. And so it's not, I don't believe that it will be the creation of new asset classes or asset allocation. It'll be the overlay of how, just like Brunel said, or just like PGGM, how are these asset classes and asset allocations going to be either risk managed or opportunity managed to take advantage of the either the risk of climate or the forward momentum of climate actions. So, you know, in, in, in a typical portfolio, you can see, you know, 20%, 15% of that portfolio starting to be looking at these kinds of investment strategies within the existing asset allocation. Now, um, one other theme that we, we like, and I know you like, that even the institutional and even these big uh, infrastructure allocations, 
Um, but certainly even the private equity and, and the venture kind of total number of dollars at play uh, pales in comparison to corporate investments themselves um, on something like, you know, tenfold. And corporations also getting to be uh, net zero, certainly. And then Microsoft and others are now, you know, saying we got to go beyond net zero, the ones who can and get to, and get to, to climate positive. So corporate corporate in, uh, investment as well, uh, up, or, up or down in 2020, I can guess your answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we did a, a piece on this last year, and I would just say that that's actually my second major uh, trend. <laughs> Be you good know, to it. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I think the second major trend that I'm going to see is that um, the corporations uh, are, are, are and, and again, you can't paint a broad brush. So when I say corporations, they themselves have a bell curve. There are the uh, early adopters, there's the front runners of a marketplace, and then there are folks that are going to be laggards. But what you start to see with corporations, and, and you're going to see it this year, is that corporations are uh, responding to both what I would call uh, the catastrophic event base, as well as the, uh, the long tail opportunity or long tail risk. In other words, I think you're going to start to see the leading corporations now starting to get out ahead of the curve and already have made those decisions in terms of products, in terms of strategies, and in terms of things that they will invest and divest in. And they will become the, I think one of the, 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 the most important stories of this year is the corporation by virtue of their R&D budget, of their product budget, of their marketing budget, and of their distribution uh, actually being one of the biggest implementers of, of this uh, issue of scaling and climate. And it'll come in the form of product. It'll come in the form of positioning. And, and for the more cynical of our listeners, yes, there will be a whole lot more greenwashing. But I think you need to look below that to the companies that are actually deploying uh, real meaningful products, technologies, integrations that now speak to where the market is going and not so much to the positioning and the marketing of it. So you're saying now it's also going to fundamental trends around climate, obviously water, as you say, all kinds of, of, of real life business operational concerns, you know, at least as much as or, or at least a rising share of in, in relation to marketing. Exactly. In, in other words, the quote unquote, low carbon economy will become uh, less of a term, uh, an aspiration, and it'll become a product category. And if I got really, really detailed about it, one of the uh, the oldies but still golden uh, piece of work is uh, the McKinsey 2008 carbon microeconomics chart. And in it, if you look at the bar charts in that diagram, uh, and I think everyone really should take a look at it, and, and you shouldn't hold your nose or turn your nose at it because it's 12 years old. You should actually look at it and say, my God, if I had been smart enough, I would have used that as an investment guide and I'd be worth a lot today. And, and I, would have, I would have seen where the market's going. And, and the categories of productization or attributes really are, uh, 2008, they really did do a great job because many of the things that are on that chart uh, have come down their cost curve, but certainly are now the things that people are talking about in terms of investable opportunities to move the needle. I, I'm guessing that uh, you and Equilibrium possibly used that that McKinsey 2008 McKinsey report as a guide uh, to some some of your work. I will say that 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 the mythology that people uh, that sometimes they that they that everyone actually has access to uh, great data. Um, there's a very very small number of people that will actually use the great data to to, uh, to make bets on their own account. 
cognitive bias is a powerful thing. Okay, let's go on to more trends to look for now that now that we <laughs> now that we have uh, what's what's uh, the opportunity ahead of us. Um, so now, folks, will will we'll listen up. <laughs> Number three. Um, if I use the ESG, you know, uh, uh, G led the way, and that was frankly kicked off by uh, many of the large institutional investors, you know, well over uh, 20 years ago. As well as, I should say, a number of corporate scandals that, that put G into the spotlight. Correct. And, and we'll continue to put G into the spotlight. E has always been said that, uh, hey, it's easy to talk about environmental risk and environment. And, and so S has always been the elusive one. And, and I would say that the big trend in S in 2020 is that the institutional asset owners, again, I think are going to start to define S as uh, social equality, equal access, and, and social mobility. And they'll be starting to do the same thing that, for example, we just spoke about with Brunel. They're going to start asking these questions of their fund managers and how are they Helping with that, it'll be a little bit more obviously uh, early in this process, but you're going to start to see the institutional asset owners starting to define S in a much more uh, pointed way and begin to ask questions of their fund managers in a much more pointed way. That'll be very interesting to see. And we've gone as far to, you know, partly to be provocative to say that the S in ESG stands for share the wealth, because that that tends to get people's uh, back up a little bit. But I do think it does come down ultimately to developing systems and mechanisms by which you know, wealth gets shared more broadly. I think that's good for the economy. I think that tends to be good for, for companies, even in the sense of employee morale, employee productivity, customer satisfaction, all kinds of good things that happen when, when people are more secure in their livelihoods, right? Exactly. And, uh, and I think that you have to remember that corporate pension plans and public pension plans, and in many cases, sovereign wealth funds have as their constituency, by definition, the bell curve you know, the everyday person. And, and I always remind our team that when we serve a pension plan, uh, if it's a utility company's pension plan, we're talking about linemen. We're talking about uh, the operators that, that answer phones. And so, so we have to be aware and always thinking about the fact that not only has a sense of obligation, but that is the constituent. And in many ways, you know, I think that's what's driven the Dutch pension plans that we, we oftentimes point to, like APG and PGGM, is because I think they've always been very much reminded uh, about their mission in the context of who the pensioners are. So, so I think that that's coming about. And I think many of the pension plans are uh, exactly, as you said, going to be defining S in some form or another around these uh, much more tangible areas of S. I don't know that we predicted it last year, but it certainly did come to a cropper, which was actual protests in the streets. And they were kind of of two flavors. Everybody, a lot of people you know, know about Greta Thunberg and the climate uh, marchers, but there were also in, you know, dozens of cities around the world, uh, social inequality protests and people into the streets. And in general, it was, 
you know, a sort of middle class citizens saying they want better services. You know, they don't want, you know, you know, either pension cuts or, or, or service price hikes. Um, uh, they want, you know, fair government. I mean, there is a certain there was a there was social unrest in the streets in 2019. And I think going into 2020 um, that I think uh, has gotten the attention of some of these um, uh, bigger investors, as you say. I, I think if we keep moving on, on the, the, the fourth major uh, trend I, I think you're going to see is um, M&A. And I think you're going to see uh, an increased activity in, in that area uh, around this issue of sustainability. And it will. So who's buying who, be, just to be blunt about it? Sure. And I, and I think you're going to see it across the board. I think you're going to see more uh, corporate M&A uh, where people are going to be buying their way into the future and uh, emerging or acquiring into the future and divesting of what they would consider to be quote-unquote legacy assets. You might actually see somebody break rank this year and, and consider their oil and gas to be quote-unquote legacy and, and merge their way into a high-growth future. And certainly within the investment world, I think you are going to see very active acquisition that will take place in the acquiring of asset managers that give these large platforms substantive uh, positions within, uh, again, the low carbon economy or in the uh, sustainable infrastructure area because uh, the writing is on the wall. I, I would say that we've heard already from a number of financial intermediaries, and, and I'll use that term loosely, you know, big platforms, that uh, the phones seem to be lighting up with asset owners asking for portfolios and assets that, again, map to the trends that we've already talked about. So I, I think that the response is going to be a very active M&A market this year. So these big shops, as you say, these big intermediaries always have a buy versus build decision, whether they can spin up what the clients want from their existing operations or whether they should go out and look for, for folks who've been specializing in that. How, is, how does that, how, how, do, how do they think about that classic decision? Uh, one is, is, is time to market and the other one is access to expertise. And, uh, and if you've got a long time to market and you're not under a tremendous amount of pressure, then you can afford to grow it inside or hire, et cetera. But if you feel like the market is at an inflection or it's outside of your core expertise, then the rational thing to do oftentimes, as difficult as it is, is to buy in and, and integrate. And, and so you'll see that happening. And I think what's materially different from past is that uh, almost everybody is realizing that we've now hit inflection. Uh, clients are asking for uh, asset owners, clients, and clients' managers are in turn asking for access to products that are, quote, institutional grade and institutionally scalable. And uh, you have to make a hardcore decision whether you can, in fact, service that need in the timeframes and if you've got access to that expertise. And, and I think that that is no longer going to be in 2020 a theoretical exercise. It's now one of, of um, put product on the shelf and put credible product on the shelf and then use that as the growth engine to go forward. Uh, as you pointed out in, in one of your pieces, um, you know, every major shop these days is putting out an index or one form or another. That's not a huge lift. Getting capital into those indexes maybe, but, but actually putting that together is not a huge lift. But you go through the kinds of fund managers across the board in the alternatives categories, in the private equity categories, in the real assets categories that have actually built critical mass 
in sustainability and climate-driven uh, thematics, um, those are those are difficult to do and difficult to repeat. And you can't just overnight create those. Well, okay. So let me just wrap this this part of it up into a question for you that we can check back on later, which is, you know, climate finance. Uh, you know, there's various analysts who, who track this uh, has ticked up, but not in anything like, you know, the dramatic hockey stick fashion that people think is is required. So it's it, people think something like one point five to two trillion dollars of clean tech investment uh, and, and clean infrastructure investment needed to um, to reach the Paris goals. People can argue whether the Paris goals are ambitious enough, but something like like one and a half to two trillion. And I think the numbers are something like three hundred and fifty to four hundred, four hundred and fifty billion, so roughly, you know, a quarter to a third of what's needed. When we come back a year from now, will we have seen that 2020 was the year that that hockey stick um, really came to pass and the numbers really go up in a significant way? I I think you already are going to see that happening in the uh, liquids. And you're seeing that trend happening with um, uh, what I would call green debt and climate related debt. And uh, and, and so the green bond area has grown uh, significantly. Uh, and then the indexing area is growing, but those are by definition liquids or uh, tradable securities, and they tend to be the ones that are much more responsive to those kinds of market signals. On the alt case, uh, these are these are harder to scale uh, kinds of, or re- the whole thing there is about repeatability and scale. And so the idea of being able to deploy capital, y- you have to find opportunities that are like the renewable energy uh, growth that's taken place over the last 20 years from you know, effectively 2001 to, to today, where I, I think you'd have to find the exact numbers, but just knowing how many gigawatts were installed around the world, that's, that's, a, that's a highly scalable and repeatable uh, asset that is easily uh, over a trillion dollars deployed in those 20 years globally. And there's no end in sight on that one. And so, so the, the, the task and the alternatives is to find a highly scalable set of, of assets. One of the easiest ones, and it's frankly, it's already been uh, in the process for, for, for well over a decade, is the uh, uh, real estate uh, plant and facility worldwide, both on the multifamily, the office, uh, industrial, etc., and, and again, that measures in the trillions of dollars and the greening of that. I, I think the, the next mega sector that, that we're going to be challenged with uh, turning green and turning into a climate asset will be uh, agriculture is, is, is 3 to 4% of global GDP. It also employs a billion people. Uh, we now readily recognize the downside and the upside of a of, of agriculture and soil and the oceans as uh, climate sinks or climate contributors in the wrong direction. So, so I think that that we're going to see uh, an inflection in 2020 in that asset class as almost every uh, ag and food investor uh, begins to adopt various aspects of this strategy. And as institutional investors recognize that there's, again, latent climate value in that asset. So I, I think this, the, the, the inflection is not just the desire of capital to get in. The inflection is also in finding categories 
where scalable solutions can be uh, implemented. So we've got real estate, we've got ag, and by extension from ag, kind of soil carbon, which is a, 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 a fascinating and, and huge opportunity. Um, and when, and we're, we're running a little low on time, so let's give me a, give me a few more okay. um, forecasts for 2020. Um, I think the fourth one is, I mean, the, the, the fifth one is uh, uh, the impact investor and the impact sector, I think, is going to, I think that broadly speaking, uh, the issue of is your investment impactful is going to become a norm. The sub-segment of that, which is, quote unquote, the impact investment or the impact investor, I think that term is going to, great, great uh, a contribution that that term has made in that it's catalyzed thinking. But as we go into 2020, I think that's going to become really synonymous with impact first and and and, and maybe a, a more important word, catalytic, as opposed to mainstream. And we can unpack that and talk about that later. But but I think that's going to be a, a, one of the, the changes. I don't think it's at the same level of magnitude as the first four uh, that we've talked about. But I do think it's worth mentioning because of it, the importance that that word has had in the last decade. I do think catalytic is going to um, have its day in, in, in 2020. I think catalytic itself is, as you say, a kind of rebranding of concessionary or below market or subsidized or, or what have you, which kind of have a, a downbeat aspect, as, as you know. And catalytic is an attempt to lift it up and say, hey, that with a little bit of financial engineering, a little bit of subsidy, a little bit of, of, of early money, a little bit of higher risk, a little bit of lower returns, you can actually maybe turn, you know, move a whole sector along up that S-curve towards, towards true commercial capital. And that is a sort of high leverage thing. But as you say, appetite for that is, is limited to, to, to folks who, who have that impact in, intention and, and the wherewithal to, to pull it off. Yeah. And, and, and I would end with, uh, those are, those are, I think five things that are worth watching in 2020 that I think are going to be major inflection points. I, I would say that I, I kept a list of what I would call buzz issues that are going to be sort of in the pop culture. And we had forecasted this last year, the year of plastic, and uh, and we're just we're just going to see plastic become uh, something uh, sort of front and center, and uh, and I and I think largely that prediction from nineteen uh, you know came about, but we are going to see so much activity in twenty twenty around plastic, and it is not going to be about straws. Uh, I think the the second uh, buzz issue that's in the pop culture that you're going to start to see is this real quandary we have about travel. You know, we have joked for years that we all uh, get on these international flights to some conference in uh, Italy or in uh, Bali to discuss how we save the planet. So we burn a lot of carbon to go save the planet. And that somewhat ironic joke is going to become actually front and center. And there will be uh, managers and uh, asset owners and investors that will start making that a litmus test and, 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 and it's not a funny litmus test. I think it's actually a great uh, question to be asking, which is, what are we doing uh, in, in our own footprint, in our own lives, in the pursuit of saving the planet? And we will get over this fetish that people have about how many miles they've, they've gotten each year or, or, or how, how, many, how long they're on the road. Um, that, that will no longer be the badge of 
of uh, of hardcoreness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the road warrior might take on the same uh, uh, attribute as the uh, as the individual who smokes a cigarette and sort of has to be at outside the uh, the California building, twenty feet, you know, in the rain smoking. <laughs> Um, I think some of the other buzz uh, and uh, is, is going to be soil carbon. Uh, everyone is going to want to be a farmer here. And, uh, and uh, the idea of regenerative agriculture will become a buzz. Uh, and, and, and then the last buzz issue, I think, is going to be uh, the oceans. And uh, the good news there is I actually think that uh, we will go beyond watching documentaries and, uh, and start asking, are there legitimate businesses and are legitimate technologies that can be used. And to our friends like the TNC, et cetera, you know, are the legitimate uh, financial vehicles and insurance vehicles that actually can be now built or taxation vehicles that can be built that allow us to uh, change the way that we are treating the oceans. Well, it's interesting, Dave, because a lot of these these buzz issues, and I, and I agree, they're things that are now, as you say, bursting into broader public awareness, but that have been pioneered and incubated and whatnot by so-called impact investors and others over the last decade or so. So so there is a kind of natural cycle where these things get get hammered out for a while and then they're sort of ready for prime time and then they and then they come into broader circulation. Um, and uh, and I, I think a lot of things that 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 you and others um, have been working on are, are now uh, uh uh, ready, you know, hitting the big time. Yeah, and and and, and I want to go back to that. I, I I do not consider the word catalytic to be uh, a positioning or a diminished role. Uh, I, I I look at it as uh, the the courage to go where others won't, and uh, there are only so many investors that have that that courage and have that drive, and 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 to attach that to go where others won't, not to IRR. And not to um, you know home run hits, but to serving a need to escort an idea long enough that it can see the light of day, and and I think that's that's an incredibly important function. And in many ways, I believe, and this is very personal, that impact investing serves an incredibly important role. Uh, if I use a a big institutional equivalent of that, it would be in the U.S. DARPA. And, and that is uh, to incubate, to shelter, to protect an idea or a, a technique or a technology long enough that it can see the light of day. And so that's a hugely important function. And, and you're right, uh, between philanthropy and impact investing, things like those documentaries and exposés, as well as the first instantiation of financial instruments and investment strategies, we're all important and we wouldn't be where we are today without them. But, but I think that we now have a public awareness of it. If I, if I go right back to the McKinsey 2008 chart as an example, in 2008, in plain view, basically presented at every conference we went to in 2008 and 9 was that chart. But very few people actually read it. Well, I think they're reading it now, um, or reading the, the, you know, ho- hopefully reading this now. <laughs> um, but uh, I do think I do think all eyes are on this, and and the moment is here now to deliver on these ideas and these these innovations. And you know, there's always a a, a period where um, things go are are improbable, and then they become um, obvious. And um, also that happens when the world needs those solutions, which which it, it clearly does now. So I think it's game on in 2020, and it's it is going to be a hell of a year, as you say. 
So thank you, Dave. Um, we will come back not just next year, but in, you know several times through the course of this year, and and we'll get, we'll we'll update this institutional shift. And thank you so much for uh, being our guide through it. Thank you so much. All right, we'll talk to you soon. That's going to do it for this special institutional shift episode of Returns on Investment. Thanks to Dave Chen of Equilibrium Capital and David Bank of Impact Alpha for that great conversation. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. This podcast has been a production of Impact Alpha, providing news and insights for those working to build an inclusive and prosperous future. Find us at impactalpha.com and on Twitter at Impact Alpha. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.